Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is March the 3rd, 2023. Um, it's a Friday, and if it's a Friday, it must be that was the week. With it must my old be. friend, Keith Tier, not so old. Not older than me, of course, but we won't talk about that. Um, last week, uh, our focus was a relative amount of normalization when it came to tech, I think. We talked about Section 230, an AI bubble, China-Saudi axis. Uh, seemed as if things were coming back to normal after a few weeks of hyper-exuberance and pessimism. But it seems as if we're back to at least hyper pessimism we are back in the apocalypse with adventure apocalypse this week with keith although your uh, your substack newsletter keith um asks the question are we in adventure apocalypse or are you being your normal ironic self well two of, two of the writers that i include this week think we are one is uh, chamath uh, from social capital and the other is elad gill and they're both very respectable commentators about venture capital. And they both make the same point. And the point they make is companies that raised money in 2021 will be running out of money in late 2023, a little bit later maybe. Chamath draws the conclusion that uh, later stage venture-backed companies will not recover their valuations for about three years. And Elad basically recommends people should close their companies down rather than just run out of money. Uh, he, he's really ringing the bell and saying, <clears throat> just stop, close it down, because um, uh, the, the, this is a really bad period. And they they both kind of quantify what this means. And, you know, the, the amount of money raised in 2021 is hundreds of billions of dollars. So we're talking about a very large set of assets that are that are vulnerable to being destroyed basically are you uh, have you taken their advice keith have you shut signal rank down no no we didn't raise money in 2021 we raised money in 2022 so it's interesting how whether why that makes a difference but it does yeah there was an interesting piece actually which wasn't in the newsletter which caught my attention on um, the information about clubhouse uh a couple of years ago, we always talked about Clubhouse. We haven't talked about it for months, if not years. It's a, a site that's probably a, a, a ghost town. They raised 300 million, or they have 300 million. And the piece said that even though everyone's left, they've still got money. But if you're like Clubhouse, and clearly there's no place for Clubhouse in today's um, media ecosystem, should you just give the money back to the investors or should you reinvent yourself and? turn yourself perhaps into an AI clubhouse? There's no right answer to that question. I don't know if you will remember that Twitter used to be a podcasting platform called Audio. Mm. And um, they decided to close Audio down, but they offered people to take the money back or let them keep it. Most people let them keep it, and they turned it into Twitter. So if the, if the management team at Clubhouse believes there's still a business there, 
they should go forward. If they believe that they're just burning money and they're, they're not making a difference, they probably should give it back or pivot to something else uh, with their investor's consent. But what they shouldn't do, and this is the advice from Eli Gill, is knowing that it isn't going to work, just keep paying themselves to go through the, you know, the motions. Um, well, that's not, I mean, that might make sense to certain types of people. For, for an entrepreneur, that's insane just to pay yourself a wage. So in two years, you have to look for another job. That would be a, a form of, at least from an entrepreneurial point of view, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot, aren't you? Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, people, you can get delusional as well. You can persuade yourself something is going to work out when it isn't. I've, I've done that. I remember my, uh, my company, Just On Me, uh, Vinod Kosler and Keith Raboy and uh, another colleague of theirs who, whose name is escaping me basically said to me, look, uh, we're not going to put more money and she closed this thing down. I wasn't there yet because it, was, it wasn't doing bad enough for me to draw that conclusion. It was doing quite well. Uh, the competitor at the time was PATH, and I think we were growing and they were shrinking. So I, I was still engaged. So that you could characterize that as delusional. But uh, You've been around. You, you mentioned Twitter. Um, some people think this week, Keith, Twitter is dying. Uh, Jemima Kelly, I don't, think, I don't think you've got this in the newsletter either, but she believes that Twitter is dying a slow and tedious death. I think she's probably right. And then your friends at Substack ask... What comes after social media? Are we, and I've asked you this before, when you put all these pieces together, are we at the end of a social media age? No, no, because social media is just another word for human interaction when there's technology. We'll, we'll never be at the end of a social media age. Yeah, but we know, but you're, now you're being purposefully uh, obscure. I mean, we never talked about social media age when someone invented the telephone. If you have that broad definition, then the telephone's a form of social media. Yeah, but I think if you say... And we know I, what we're talking about, social media. We're talking about the period from about 2000 and, what, two or three with, uh, with MySpace and then Facebook and Twitter till today. So it's been about 20 years. Yeah, but it, it, it's not going away. It, I mean, new apps will will come about. Um, new humans will find new ways of engaging with each other and sharing things and learning from each other. The actual companies will, may go through even even death. Uh, I don't agree that Twitter is dying. I think Twitter is being reborn. Myself um, as, as a better thing, but that that's because you you're a big admirer of Elon Musk. I don't see. My, I, I don't particularly like him. I'm not a an obsessive hater, but I, I don't get the sense that anyone really cares enough about it one way or the other. No, they do. They do. I mean, the numbers tell you they do. And and it's, do you know who cares the most? Journalists, because it's where they publish. Exactly. So it's obscure. It's journalists talking to themselves. And yeah. I, I, and, I just uh, don't see a future for Twitter. But that's another issue. Maybe we'll talk about that another week. So you don't believe but, Twitter's dying? No, I don't think Twitter's dying. I don't think Facebook is dying. I don't think Google... Well, no one's dying. claiming that Facebook's dying or Google, and Google isn't a social media company anyway. Yeah, they were claiming that uh, Facebook was dying a little while ago during the, the meta right, well, we talked about that, and one of your pieces in today's, uh, in this in this week's newsletter is a, a letter from Neil, from um, the new uh, head of, of YouTube, um, 
Neil Mohan. What 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 do you think uh, it's about his 2023 priorities or YouTube's? Um, are YouTube, do you think, trying to reinvent themselves or are they still cresting the wave of shared videos? Well, they're, they're definitely the the place to publish uh, video, live or, or otherwise. We're, we're live on YouTube right now, for example. Um, but are we? Oh, yeah. We're, uh, well, unless we're everywhere, grow- Keith, though, aren't we? We're ubiquitous. We're, be, you, we're ubiquitous. So, you know, to answer your question. And ridiculous. We're ubiquitous and ridiculous. <laughs> we are. I think I'm just going to let you interrupt. Go on. What's your next interruption? (laughs) (laughs) I can't resist that because I wasn't sure. I I, I don't think you knew whether you were going to say ubiquitous or ridiculous. Um, No, look, YouTube is is massive and big and it's not going away. And Google makes a lot of money from it. However, it has competition and especially young people are finding new ways to engage with video. TikTok being the obvious example, despite various attempts to stop it. TikTok is thriving. So what Neil is writing in this letter is really a commitment to modernizing YouTube, to include stories, to include AI uh, where where relevant, especially for creative things like editing or or subtitles, for example. So I think it's just a a statement of um, uh, continuing success with modernization. It's a bit boring, to be honest. Uh, I guess he has to say something. There's nothing groundbreaking there. It's just keep on keeping on. And and and, and I think they will. YouTube is, is, you know, for young people, a massive time sink because they feel as if they 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 engage with what they want there. Uh, my kids do. And, and, yeah, and I, my daughter, I don't know about my son, but they, they spend hours. It's probably uh, maybe a not for this show, but not particularly healthy. Last week, Keith, um, we we talked a lot about Section 230. It hasn't gone away. You have a couple of pieces, uh, one from the markup by uh, Nabia Sied uh, on Section 230 as a load-bearing wall, and is it coming down? I'm not quite sure what that means. And then another from the Washington Post about Biden, Joe Biden finding that breaking up big tech is, is harder than he thought. Um, what have been the um, the aftershocks of the Section 230 stuff from last week? Well, it, it's still unsettled. The way the Supreme Court works is they listen to a case and then they discuss and they report their findings often months later. So we don't know what the findings are going to be yet. The pieces in this week's newsletter I thought were super interesting, especially the first one you mentioned, because it goes into the history of why Section 230 came about in the first place. And uh, it makes the case, which I'd never really understood this. This isn't how I perceived it, but I I actually think uh, that it's correct, that Section 230 first was brought about to encourage platforms to to, uh, editorialize, to cut stuff out that they didn't like. Um, and, uh, uh, on well, the that's the, the Google talking point. I'm not sure whether the Google people have uh, got into uh, Nabia Siad's head. I know that's their, that was their defense. So. Yeah. Well, well, see, my perception was that, and this is uh, when I was an ISP, that Section 230 was telling me I'm not responsible for what other people do. What this article says is, yes, that's true, 
And that remains true even if you take responsibility on occasion. That doesn't mean you have to always take responsibility. So it was, so apparently it was to encourage uh, what has happened, in fact, which is all the social media platforms turned into censors. And in the very recent period, woke censors, um, you know, kind of guardians of police guardians of thought in a way. Um, and and, and uh, now I know why you think Twitter hasn't died because it's not woke. Well, it's definitely not woke and under Elon's uh, leadership, but it doesn't mean it's perfect. He, he has his own issues. <laughs> yeah, he said some, I think we can leave him out of it. You didn't have any links with some of the nonsense he's been talking this week. What about um, what about uh, Biden and breaking up yeah. Big Tech? That's, of course, back to your friends at the FCC. Yeah, um, I don't know if you've got it, but there's another article which talks about the FTC giving up on stopping facebook making an acquisition yeah i've got that one too um, ftc yeah. drops the bid to block meta's acquisition of, of within right well if you read the quote in there it's all about how what a bad time lena khan is having and yeah well you must be this i know you're a big fan of nina khan yeah we we we, we know that i'm a great fan of her postgraduate paper <laughs> um <laughs> So is this? Yeah, I mean, Biden doesn't have much long, much more time in his in his uh, presidency, at least the first term. Is this the end? Do you think of any serious attempt to rein in big tech? Yes, I think it is the end. I, I, I mean, apart from in Europe, where Europe is damaging itself by over-regulating big tech. Um, it, 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 you know, I mean, the, the, the extreme to me is forcing Apple to put a USB-C power connector instead of a lightning connector on the next iPhone, which, you know, why, why does anyone care? I mean, it, it just seems bizarre to me. Um, so I think Europe is, is a bit of a renegade in this area and money will run away from Europe the more it regulates. It's so, interesting thinking out loud. Musk's acquisition of Twitter is actually bad news for for the MAGA crowd who claim that all social media is woke because clearly it isn't anymore. Correct. They can't they can't claim bias, but you know the truth is, I, I watch MSNBC a lot. Um, I can barely watch it anymore because it is so partisan. I, I wouldn't use the word biased, but it has a political point of view. It, it it mostly isn't news; it's op-ed. Have you op become a Fox News person yet, Keith? You sounds like you're on the road to it. I can't watch that either. For the, the it's the I same. can't watch CNN. I can't watch any of it actually. That's why yeah. that's why yeah. we're doing now. TV because all of all of conventional television is redundant. Well, we've done ten minutes, Keith, and we haven't even talked about AI, but that remains the main story. Uh, you have a really interesting piece from Gary Marcus, one of the world's leading authorities and skeptics on AI. He asks, uh, he co-authored it with uh, Michelle Garner. He asks whether it's time to hit the pause button. What do you think? Uh, well, I, I think of that as basically being cancel culture on the machine. It's like this machine can say bad things, so let's stop it. I, 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 I don't agree with it. I understand, I understand why they say it, and I think that Gary and others like him are genuine in their belief that the human race is so gullible 
that a machine saying bad things might poison uh, the, the, the mindset of the populace. So I understand that that's what they think. I don't agree with that. I think we're totally capable of understanding the nuances of what a machine says. I also think it's misunderstanding chat GPT's usefulness. You know, you wouldn't employ chat GPT as an analyst on politics or racism or sexism or homophobia or, or transphobia or any of them because that isn't what it's good at. And if you play with it in those areas, it's going to be wacky. But it's super good at being a research assistant. It's super good. Right. So how big a deal? A couple of interesting pieces you've got. One from uh, Sam Altman, who believes that OpenAI, or AI in general, and he, of course, is the CEO of OpenAI, so he understands it as well as anyone. He believes it can break capitalism. And then an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal by Henry Kissinger and Eric Schmidt and their co-author of a book about AI in which ChatGPT heralds an intellectual revolution. Is this for real? Is it really as profound as some of these people are suggesting? Um, I, I, yes and no. It, it is profound because it's going to bring something to play that none of us have ever had, which is... Uh, uh, an unlimited research assistant sat on our computer available to be asked questions or help with a goal anytime we want and have a reasonably good chance that it will do a good job. That That's revolutionary. I mean, it just is fantastic. As a but isn't AI. that just a sort of audio version of the Google search engine? No, it's, it's better than that because the Google search engine will give you keyword matches on anything. It, it, it can't really answer a question or have a, or tell you uh, in a narrative way, uh, um, a, you know, a set of facts or or or, or um, opinions. So it's very different. It's more like having a human being sat there. Now we human beings are flawed. You know, if you, if you ask me to describe uh, the the you know the laws of physics, uh, I'll do a really bad job. Whereas if you, you ask, never do a bad job, Keith. And, and the thing with AIs is at least they're not like me. They don't interrupt all the time. Exactly. But it is, it, it is like having a person. In fact, it's like having all people. It's like you, you, you can have the whole human race sat on your desk answering questions. And depending on the question, it will become somebody capable of answering. Whereas I can only answer questions about things I'm an expert at. So it's better the human, better than a human being. It isn't more intelligent than a human being, because it isn't thinking, but it is able to gather information, facts, whatever you need based on your question, and put them in front of you, almost no matter what the subject is. And that's, that's the intellectual revolution that Kissinger and Schmidt talk about. I wonder whether the the first wave of people to be really impacted by this are writers, because this is manifested at least in its first version in text. And most journalists, I mean, we've heard this one before, but it seems to me as if most journalists and writers and copywriters, they're all going to be made redundant because most of them aren't very good. And unless you're at the very, very top of your profession, I don't see how you survive against this. Well, I, I, I definitely think we humans will want as much human written stuff as possible with, with as much creativity and out of the box thinking as possible. And chat gpt won't give us that so i think you're right but i don't think it's 
Yeah, but we, when you speak on behalf of we humans, I mean, we humans, to borrow your language, aren't very original, are usually incredibly boring. I mean, remember when you sit down next to someone on an airplane, how boring they usually are? Most, Most people are boring. Most people have never had an original thought in their life. I'm talking really about the writers that might get displaced. And what I'm really saying is the really good ones that we love will not be displaced because the because the chat GPT will not be able to be as good as them. But who like? Give me an example of someone and you say we love. Who who would be an example? You know, like yesterday I mentioned to my wife this novel, which you'll be familiar with as a as a uh, Englishman, is uh, the ragged trousered philanthropist. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. I don't know who, who's the author. The author is a painter and decorator from, I think, the 1930s, but I can't quite remember the date when he wrote, um, who wrote a novel uh, that was really all about the people in his life. It was a novel about the working class. It's a fantastic novel. And, and it sits alongside Orwell, for example. as a Right. We, I did a show, a keen on show, with the guy who used to run um, one of the big publishing houses, Doubleday in New York. Uh, Stephen Rubin, and I asked him the same question. He came up with a novel, but he acknowledged that 80% of stuff can be replicated by AI. 80% of the stuff doesn't work, isn't very good. When it comes to journalism, especially tech journalism, how many tech journalists can survive this? No, I I think if ChatGPT was given the Reuters newsfeed and told to select articles and summarize them, it could do a great job at that. And the other sort of, I, I don't know whether it's a, an irony or eerily coincidental, uncannily coincidental, is uh, we, we, when you or I turn on MSNBC or Fox News or CNN, we know exactly what they're going to say. We don't even... So I don't see how or why AI on any of the television platforms makes any difference, since it's basically already programmed to be yeah. to, to, well, to, to I, tell I... you what you already know and what you already think. Yeah, well, you, you've already seen that phenomenon of people saying, I asked ChatGPT something and here's what it said. They're doing that on TV. They're doing that on radio. The debate I did with Gary Marcus on um, on Intelligence Squared, the, the moderator did that. So, yeah. so ChatGPT is being invited into the media as a participant already. Um, the, the question is, will it replace anybody i think the answer is yes copywriters would be my top guess to be honest and yeah. uh, uh, copy editors um it's great at summaries uh the uh, one of the articles in this week is the the baccalaureate has accepted chat gpt uh, uh, uh as a tool for students to write essays yeah and, and it's announced that uh, it's gonna it's gonna grade the students not on their essay writing ability but on their ability to critique the chat GPT essay. Yeah. It's, it's, I have to say, it's easy to be dark about it, but it, it's also a lot of fun. Meanwhile, in the real economy, lots of news. Snapchat's integrating chat GPT, according to one of the pieces in your newsletter. Um, and then there's another piece on winners and losers in this race to add AI. What's happening on the ground, Keith? I mean, we can talk in broad terms like Henry Kissinger or, or, um, or, or Schmidt, but, but what's happening on the ground this week? Uh, the biggest thing on the ground is that 
uh, OpenAI, the, the parent company, announced uh, that they now have a, uh, an API for ChatGPT, which they'll charge for. Uh, and it's open to any developer to integrate it. So Snapchat was yeah. was already doing OpenAI launches an API for Chat GPT, so everyone now can develop it. And, and and basically, the same tech is being put into a range of different user interfaces. I'm pretty sure Excel will have it soon. I, I was able to build an Excel macro to run code using Chat GPT this week. I think every app you can think of will have it built in and it will be able to do things specific to the needs of that app. How, um, uh, how much of a lead, I mean, Microsoft always gets bashed around, but how much of a lead will they have in terms of Google coming up with their own nuclear weapon on this? I mean, we know that's imminent. Yeah. I don't think they have a technological lead. Um, I think OpenAI and Microsoft have... Uh, a time lead of getting the tools into the hands of developers and having developers be able to build stuff. Google's tech, I'm pretty sure, is as good and maybe even better, but has yet to be released in a way that can be properly consumed or, or used. That's obviously coming. Uh, I'd say a year from now, you know, not having a chat uh, AI inside an app will be pretty much the same as not having you know, a file menu with a pull down inside an app. It's right, going to become or a comment section on a on a content website. Yeah, it'll it, it'll basically be everywhere, and then it comes down to human use and and what we how we think of it and what we use it for, uh, how transparent we are about that, all, all kinds of stuff. The one thing I'm pretty sure we will not do is rely on it for facts or opinions. Well, you even managed to find it for video of the week. This is one of your new features on the website. What's your video of the week with, a, with an AI focus? It, it's a video from Forbes um, looking at uh, why uh, AI is going to change our lives and reset everything. I like that phrase, reset everything, because we already do a lot of things. The, the, the ways we're going to do those things is going to change, and that, that's the reset. So the video is, um, it's a pretty professional, you know, narrated video with lots of participants that just makes the case for the impact this is going to have. I thought it was well worth watching because it's, it's one of those basic videos that especially someone new to the field would learn a lot from. And meanwhile, that was a video of the week. What about startup of the week, Keith? Yeah, my startup of, this, of the week this week is self-serving. So... Very self. You're always self-serving, but shamefully self-serving. Shamefully self-serving. Apologies to Steve Gilmore, who hates it when I do this, and I don't do it in the spirit of. Why are you apologizing to? Why are you apologizing to Steve Gilmore? I must be guilty. It's it's the the Jewish side of me. Um, uh, he's always telling me off if I promote anything that I'm doing, and uh, this is a this is promotional, but it's also real. Uh, the the startup of the week is. Evolution IQ. It's a great startup. And the reason I made it Startup of the Week is because it, um, it, 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 it's firstly what it does. It's focused on people with disabilities getting back to work. And it gives them all the tools they need for that to be possible. Um, and um, it, secondly, uh, it joined the Signal Rank Index, which is basically 
what happens when uh, uh, the SignalRank AI gives a third signal to a company that it's already given two signals to and says this, this company has a 30% chance of becoming a unicorn is really what it's saying. Uh, this was one of the entrants to the SignalRank index this week, so I chose to highlight it and use SignalRank's uh, tweet to uh, testimonialize that event. You sound a bit guilty, Keith. You know you're over-promoting signal rank, but I'll let you do it. I'm not Steve Gilmore. I'm not a censorist, and I'm not your mother. So you <laughs> what you like. no, Steve's Meanwhile, a good the uh, tweet of the week, always my favorite, favorite feature of your newsletter, is is a particularly amusing one, uh, sort of Dostoevskian or Nietzschean. What is it? Exactly. Uh, this is Mike Solana, who has gotten into a huge fight this week. I mean, it's a big uh, deal. He's got, I, didn't, I never heard of him, but he's got 212,000 followers on Twitter. Not that Twitter, we've heard Twitter might be dying, so that may not tell us very much. And apparently he's a media, billionaire media tycoon and former mayor of San Francisco. Is that true? I have no idea. I have no idea if that's true. It, it, I think it's, it's wishful it thinking on Mike Solana's if he was a really a media tycoon, he wouldn't be wasting his time on Twitter. But anyway, what does he say? So Mike picked a fight this week with Gary Gary Marcus around whether... Everyone picks a fight with Gary Marcus. That's what he exists for, I think. Yeah. So as part of the fun, because Gary accuses ChatGPT of spewing filth, uh, Mike <laughs> typed into Microsoft Word, murder is good, actually. And his tweet is, Holy shit, I just typed this into a word processor and it straight up allowed me to do it. Murder is not actually good, you guys. Oh my God, we're not ready for the future. So uh, basically blaming Microsoft Word for what he typed is uh, his equivalent of what Gary does with ChatGPT. And I thought it was super funny. I don't understand the, connect the connection because, because ChatGPT might, suggest that murder is good or suggest what, what's the moral dimension of chat gpt that that gary will, is worried well, about well it, just like microsoft word it doesn't have any morals if you type something into it it will take it in good faith and reply um, and in case of microsoft word it will let you type it in and it doesn't reply but it's basically they're both canvases in the case of chat, chat gpt it can respond to what you type in so Solana's point is Gary Marcus is prompting it to say bad things. And so it does. And who's to blame? Chat GPT or Gary? So what are you going to do this week, Keith, in the venture apocalypse? Have all the buildings in Palo Alto collapsed? They, well, I, I'm, I am going to watch Manchester United beat Liverpool at Anfield, I think, on Sunday. And what happens if they don't? Then they don't. And that the the... the pain of the last five years will return briefly well i'm going to london next week to watch uh tottenham's final game in the champions league for about 30 years <laughs> home to milan and then home to nottingham forest so we may have to rearrange for next week but we will see you all one way or the other in a week have a great week everyone and keith don't self-promote too much or if you do do it on steve gilmore show very good i will thank you bye